Good Thursday morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com presented by our friends at Northeast Delta Dental. And we have a treat in store for you this morning. Our guest is ESPN reporter and best-selling author of Never Settle, Marty Smith. Marty, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for giving me a platform to talk about it. I'm grateful. I hope you guys are having a great Thursday. Having a great Thursday so far. Marty's new book, Just Out, is Sideline CEO Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches with a foreword by Tim Tebow. How'd you get Tim to write the foreword? Uh, we're like brothers. There you go. <laughs> I, uh, I have the great blessing of working with Tim every weekend in college football uh, with ESPN and the uh, show that I host. Uh, he's an analyst on that show, and mm-hmm. he is um, hes a remarkable person. He's such a light in the world, and the thing that I am so impressed with every time I'm around him, especially in public, his level of fame is uncommon, but the amount of time that he gets everyone who wants his time is also uncommon. Celebrities are not. And he is so generous with that time and he's impacting millions of lives every single day. And I'm so grateful that when I picked up the phone and asked him to do that for me, he didn't even hesitate. What, what, what a great friend and a great man. I, I I only had one encounter with Tim Tebow, and it was uh, terrific. It was at a uh, a press conference in in Manchester when he came in playing with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies uh, in, in in the Eastern League, and uh, he had a long stay in Manchester. And uh, he talked about uh, a great restaurant that he found uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire, that served a great breakfast. So that's that's I what love the, Manchester. Yeah. Oh, you've been I, uh, to Manchester. Oh, many, many. I would say I've been to Manchester 50 times. I, um, I started my media career in NASCAR racing. And yeah. every time we came to Loudoun, I stayed in Manchester because it's the one town kind of on the periphery of the New Hampshire Motor Speedway that has nice dining, that has nice entertainment, that has a really quaint uh, really kind sort of energy to it. And so I always stayed in Manchester when we raced in Loudoun. Ah, okay. Very good. And, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you actually about NASCAR because I, I know you've covered it uh, over the years, and, and, of course, you know where our track is. Yeah, where Where is NASCAR now in terms of our sports landscape? I'm, I'm a little concerned about it. I think that's fair. I think it's fair to be concerned. I think um, the absolute pinnacle of the sport was – uh, kind of my, so my introduction into the sport was in the late 90s. I graduated from college and in 1999 was injected into NASCAR. I felt like that was my fastest path towards big time coverage, a uh, coverage of big time sports. And so when I, in, when I was injected into the sport as a young bleach blonde, unfortunately, I don't know why I had the inclination to bleach my hair. Don't ask, but I did. <laughs> Um, I was in the garage area when it was the heyday of Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon rivalry, Rusty Wallace, Ricky mm-hmm. Rudd. You know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was just starting in the Cup Series. Jimmy Johnson came along the next year. I mean, it was Tony Stewart. It was like household name superstar. Yeah, yeah. And now, 
now we don't really see that quite the same. And so there are stars in the sport. Chase Elliott is a, is a star. Um, Kyle Busch, still racing, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, Denny Hamlin is a first ballot Hall of Famer, even though he doesn't quite have a championship yet. He will, I think. But you just don't – I mean, this is a self-serving answer, sir, but I believe it to be true. When NASCAR left ESPN after the 2014 season, that's when I left the garage and went to college football. Yep. But you have to think about the impact of ESPN on the broader plane. We didn't just broadcast the races. I did feature pieces that aired on SportsCenter. I did live shots on SportsCenter almost every day. If there was a massive news story, I was on there reporting it, and our analysts were on analyzing it. And that means we were NASCAR was in every sports bar. It was in every restaurant. It was even if you weren't a NASCAR fan, when you're making breakfast and you got Sports Center on, you're hearing it and watching it, right? So the, the awareness is not just the same when all you see is the race itself on USA Network. Correct. Yeah, you don't have the substance you you once had seven days a week uh, when it was on uh, ESPN. That is for sure, and I, I think that certainly is a contributing factor to, you know, really the ratings demise uh, of NASCAR. I do hope that they, uh, so they're in the process now of negotiating their new television deal. I love the sport. I want to see the sport thrive. I want to see it soar. And I hope that their new television deal, which has its obstacles, um, I think one of the most important sticking points on that new TV deal is the amount of television revenue that is guaranteed to the ownership of the teams, which for the entirety of NASCAR has never really been um, an equitable sum. And so I think that's what the owners are really fighting for right now in this new television deal. And I hope it is a monster TV deal. I hope it's an historic TV deal because I think Steve Phelps, the president, Steve O'Donnell, uh, the people that are, at the executive level of the sport are doing a, I mean, they are really trying very hard and I think doing a great job, but in today's consumer market, it's just so hard to maintain and sustain great penetration of people's consciousness. Yeah. I I think, uh, yeah, NASCAR has to reconsider some of the things it does. You know, it's, it's amazing. Do you ever think we'd, we'd see a day when there's not a name sponsor for the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, I mean, you know, we, um, we always used to call it the Winston Cup, uh, you know, for so many years. Right. Um, I, it's funny. I still call the Xfinity Series the sort of AAA of NASCAR for your listeners who may not follow the sport. Yeah. The Xfinity Series is sort of that AAA baseball. Right. I still, I still call it the Bush Series when yeah. I'm talking to my buddy. That's what it was for so long. Yeah. And you're right. I mean. Um, this is the, the first era since 1971 that there isn't a, a, a one entitlement sponsor that pays for the right to be the Winston Cup Series or the Nextel Cup or the Sprint Cup or the Monster Cup. All right. Um, it's a rotating sort of group of sponsors that are helping foot that bill. But, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it is interesting. I, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, you said you spend quite a bit of time, spent quite a bit of time in, in Manchester during your period of covering uh, NASCAR. You know, a couple of uh, uh, very, very good college football coaches uh, went to high school within miles 
uh, of where I'm I'm sitting right now. I'm Chip talking. Kelly? What's that? Did Chip Kelly go to school up there? Chip Kelly did. Uh, Chip Kelly went to Manchester oh. Central High School. And uh, then uh, Ryan Day also went to uh, Manchester Central High School. How about that? For, I love Ryan Day. And uh, Dan Mullen uh, from Trinity High School yep. in Manchester. That's cool. Wow. I didn't realize all those guys were from, uh, like, the core of Manchester, New Hampshire. That's cool. I mean, those are three brilliant, brilliant offensive-minded football coaches. Dan's doing a great job with us at ESPN right now as an analyst. Yeah. And uh, – you know, Chip's doing a good job out west, and and Ryan has a standard bearing program in Columbus. So, kudos Manchester, y'all know how to grow football minds. Isn't that amazing though? For I mean, where you know college, I mean, high school football in in general is not that big uh, in New Hampshire, and to have uh, three guys like that from uh, from one city is, is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. What a great endorsement. For, yeah. Uh, for the quality of coaching that they got there. Yeah, very true. Uh, because that's really where it all starts, you know, kind of going back to, to my book. What great leadership is, is, you know, trust of your words and follow through with your action that brings people with you. Leadership is not power. Leadership is influence. And if you have that ability to influence someone and make them believe, especially when they don't believe they can do it themselves, then they can achieve well beyond their dreams. And it's obvious that those three gentlemen had great leaders there in Manchester. Yeah, no no doubt about that. Our guest is the great Marty Smith. He's been for been at ESPN for how long now, Marty? Almost 20 years. I can't even believe it. It's hard that. to believe. Yeah, you, you must I'm be. in my 18th year at that's a worldwide leader. That's a hell of a run. I'm it is. Up. That is an amazing run, given all that's, that's happened uh, <laughs> on that scene in, in the last couple of years. But uh, Marty's a, a survivor and uh, a thriver at uh, ESPN, College Game Day, among uh, many other activities that he has. Uh, Marty, we have to take a quick break. Can you stay with us? Yes, sir. All right. Marty Smith, the book. And it's a great one, and we'll actually talk about it after the break. Sideline CEO, leadership principles from championship coaches. We'll take a break. We'll be back with Marty Smith right after these words. Kale and Company right here, WKXLNHTalkRadio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Marty Smith from ESPN is with us. Where are you going to be this weekend, Marty? Lexington, Kentucky. I'm heading up there for the Florida-Kentucky uh, game. It's going to be a great one in the SEC East. Florida 3-1 and one and better than many people believe. And the Wildcats are 4-0. and oh. uh, Mark Stoops has done a tremendous job in that program. They're tough. They got a really good quarterback in Devin Leary, who's a transfer from NC State and can just rip it. And um, I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. Noon kickoff there in Lexington. Can't wait. Wow. Uh, terrific atmosphere there as well. And uh, Marty is the author of a new book, Sideline CEO, Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. And I really love the, the format of the book, and you. Uh, as you said in a, a recent interview that I heard, it's extremely digestible. And thank you yeah. for that. 
Thank you for that format. It's terrific. And Thank uh, you so much. I, re- I really appreciate that. The, the coaches that uh, you interviewed for the book are absolutely uh, the cream of the crop. Urban Meyer, Roy Williams, John Calipari, and uh, I think your favorite, uh, Nick Saban. <laughs> he is the man. Uh, I've, been, I've been blessed to build a, a really strong relationship with Coach Saban over the past decade or so, and, and I have learned so much from him uh, that I've injected into my daily walk about self-accountability, and I love his concept that I wrote in the book that he shared with me that it's about being a champion. And in the Alabama football facility, the goals pyramid that's on the wall that the players see on a daily basis does not say win an SEC championship. It does not say win a national championship. It says be a champion. Mm. And that's a massive difference because if you are self-accountable and you do every single day what you are supposed to do to find your best self and be a champion – then you're probably going to have the opportunity to win a championship. It's an inside-out approach. It's process over outcome. And when you focus on process over outcome, you result in the joy of winning, not the relief of winning. If you're worried about winning, you're worried. If you're focused on what you're supposed to do to win, it's next play, next play, next play. And that may seem like coach speak, but you think about it in your daily walk. I've injected that into my life as a professional, certainly, but also as a husband and father. And so I just, I love Coach Saban. Uh, He's been amazing to me, and my word is that man a genius. Oh, man, Uh, no no question about that. And and one coach that really hits home for a lot of folks uh, in our listening area uh, that's included in your book is Doc Rivers. Yep. He's, uh, he too, he, he might have had the most dynamic statement. I mean, there's the thing about this book is we see all of these coaches. I mean, you named a few of them. It's Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Kirby Smart's in it, Roy Williams, Mac Brown, yep. Doc. Uh, I mean, it's it's really a who's who of champions. There's 55 championships in those pages wow. combined. It, it, it's and so, amazing. And that, thank you. It, and that doesn't even that doesn't even include the final kind of goodbye chapter, which is a lot of John Wooden's tutelage, and so I didn't even include his championships in there, but I digress. (laughs) Doc Rivers was amazing in the book, and he really shared with me the Ubuntu philosophy. Are you familiar with this? You you explain it. So when he was with the Celtics and they won the championship with KG and Rondo and all those guys in 2008, they really embraced the Ubuntu philosophy, which the South Africans used to kind of develop the culture of Africa. And it's an amazing philosophy. It is, I am only myself through other people. I can only be my best self when you're your best self. And this is the best part. This is the best line in the book, in my opinion. I cannot be threatened by your good. I love that. So many of us are insecure about comparing ourselves to what other people are doing. There's room for everybody. And I was so taken aback and so moved by kind of Doc's testimony about that. It was very good. And you guys that read the book, I hope that's all of you listening, uh, will love it. Well, absolutely. Uh, Was was there a coach that uh, you wanted to include in the book that uh, you couldn't get? There were two specifically, yes. Um, 
I asked Dawn Staley, the amazing South Carolina women's basketball coach, uh, with whom I have a great relationship. She comes on my show on the SEC Network often. Uh, But I think she politely declined because someday she's going to write her own leadership monster. She doesn't want to give away all her secrets. (laughs) Um, And then I, uh, before Deion Sanders ever went to Colorado, he agreed to do the book. But then when he took the Colorado job, um, our schedules just never did mesh. So Coach Prime was supposed to be in there. I met him uh, several years ago. We did a charity uh, fishing tournament together. And I was so taken with his spirit. He's an amazing dude. And what he's done at Colorado is remarkable. Yeah. Uh, so I would have loved to have Coach Prime in there as well. So those were the two, Don Staley and uh, Coach Prime, uh, primetime Deion Sanders. So is there a common thread uh, among uh, all these terrific coaches? There are many. Uh, yes, there are many. The way I'm, because of that, I kind of broke the book up into – and I appreciate your commentary on the format. Uh, it's really, for those of you listening, it's an oral history type of format. I broke the book up into eight different pillars or silos of leadership. Like, basically, what exactly is leadership? How do, how do these folks define it? Where do trust, delegation, culture, crisis management, communication and listening, self-evaluation and evolution, all of those pillars are vital attributes of great leaders. And so there were through lines, certainly, but it all goes back to kind of what I said earlier. Leadership is not power. Leadership is influence. So can you move people? Can you pull them, push them, prod them to come with you to achieve a task? And all of those 20 people in that book are Hall of Famers in that regard. Well, no matter what your walk of life is, what kind of work you do, uh, this is a very inspirational and instructive uh, book uh, to read. It is a a terrific uh, work by you, uh, Marty. Congratulations. Sideline CEO, Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. It's just out. Uh, Be the first in your neighborhood to get a copy of uh, Marty Smith's book. Maybe someday we'll get Marty back to New Hampshire. I don't know. I hope so. When ESPN gets the NASCAR contract back, uh, that's that's a possibility. And I, I what I want to see, Marty, is more weeknight primetime racing. Weeknight primetime racing. On, yep, uh, I agree. I uh, think that would be great, man. Wednesday nights in the summer? Oh, yeah. would be awesome. It, it would, well, you know, I mean, during COVID, that's what they had to do, right? And uh, and I think I think the numbers were pretty good for that. So uh, at any rate, Marty, you're terrific. You've written a couple of books now. This one, and uh, you know, and, and as well as uh, Never Settled. What's next? Um, I need to take a breather after this book tour. <laughs> <laughs> after all these interviews uh, you're I'm doing. So, <laughs> I'm so grateful, though. To look, I, I consider it such a blessing to be a vehicle for the consumer base that doesn't have the blessing I do to be close to these people and have a way to, to learn and glean their tutelage. I love being able to take that and be a vehicle in this book, but also telling teachers on college game day and, and, and these people giving me their vulnerability and their stories and being a conduit so that those stories can reach the masses. It's, I don't take it lightly. I'll never forsake the blessing. I'm just so grateful for it. So uh, very, very, very 
grateful man. Thank you. Well, Marty, we could talk to you all day, although Adam would be very upset. I know I have to let you go. You have another interview coming up. But, uh, Marty, it's <laughs> been a, a joy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for the platform. And, again, I love your town, and I hope you guys have a great weekend. All Thank right. You. you as well, Marty. Take care. As uh, Marty Smith, terrific reporter, has been for 18 years at uh, ESPN. And uh, really, I'm serious that no matter what walk of life you're in, if you have nothing to do with sports uh, whatsoever, uh, you know, it doesn't matter your profession. This is inspirational reading from some of the uh, great, great uh, college and professional coaches uh, of our day. And uh, you can follow some of these guidelines in uh, you know, any uh, walk of life that uh, you are involved in. Well, you know what uh, just opened moments ago? The Deerfield Fair. How about that? They've been around for about, what, 146 years now, I think. We talked about it uh, earlier this week. And uh, they have their events coming up uh, starting at 9 o'clock this morning. Oh, boy. How about that? And you know what? The Flying Wallendas. The Flying Wallendas. They only perform at the Deerfield Fair now. And, and I think they've been doing it since day one of the Deerfield Fair 146 years ago. But uh, their first show today is at 1230. So get out and enjoy a, a great fair, Deerfield Fair. And if you want more information, you can uh, log on to DeerfieldFair.com. We'll take a break. Kale and Company continues right here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. It is Kale and Company Live. Great to have you with us on this Thursday, the 28th day of September. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun, as they say. You know what today is? You know, I seem to see something along these lines every month, you know, in connection with what day we're celebrating. Today is National Drink Beer Day. I think I hear that just about every month. There's, there's something about drinking beer on these, on these uh, what day it is kind of things. Uh, so this is National Drink Beer Day. It's also National Good Neighbor Day. So maybe you can uh, bring your neighbor a beer along with a strawberry cream pie because it's National Strawberry Cream Pie Day today as well. So what neighbor would not be thrilled, Kat, with a beer and a strawberry cream pie? No kidding. I mean, uh, what a combo. How about that? <laughs> I don't know how that would taste together, but that's just me. Now, those are the days we're celebrating today. Also, one more we're celebrating. Read a child a book you like day. A book you like. Not necessarily the child, but a book you like <laughs> uh, today. I don't know which one I would read. I, I don't know if I had uh, a chance to read a book to a child today. But uh, at any rate, those are the days that are being commemorated today. And uh, last night, of course, the focus was on Simi Valley, California. Several of uh, Donald Trump's rivals stepped up their attacks against him in the second Republican presidential debate, urgently trying to dent the former president's commanding primary lead. And it is commanding. Uh, during an event that often seemed like uh, an undercard without him. And uh, it, it really does. Uh, and and I, mean, I think I really think he's doing the nation a disservice uh, by not attending uh, 
uh, these debates. I, I really and truly do. But that's his decision, and uh, you know we're, we're not going to sway him here. That that is for sure. But uh, Trump was in Michigan, uh, aiming to capitalize on the auto workers' strike in a key state that could help decide the general election. So he was there. Everybody else was in uh, Simi Valley, California. It was uh, on Fox Business last night, and I would highly, highly, highly recommend one thing: get rid of the three moderators. I, you have to have a moderator. Don't get me wrong. One moderator. Uh, you know, no matter how many moderators you have, it's it's always going to get out of control anyway. And, and there was a point last night, especially early on, where I almost, I almost switched the channel. I, I really did because the everybody was talking over one another and you couldn't understand what anybody had to say, including the moderators. Three is too, too many. So, you know, the, the moderators were stepping on each other. You know, it just was not, uh, I don't know, it wasn't, to me, uh, the most enjoyable or productive debate ever. Uh, and uh, all the talk, all the candidates talking over one another, I'm not necessarily blaming the moderators for that, but there were too many moderators. Three moderators, too many. You need one. And I know Chris Wallace did one a few years back when he was at Fox, and he was highly criticized uh, for the way he handled it. But the fact of the matter is there is no moderator or any three or ten moderators that are going to stop these people from uh, talking over each other, you know, unless the rules are drastically changed, and they probably won't be. But three moderators, they're all vying for airtime, too along with the candidates. So one, one's enough. One's enough. Get a good one in there, a good, solid moderator uh, who will uh, attempt, anyway, uh, to keep the candidates in line. Whether you can ever come up with that moderator, uh, I'm not sure. But just, just get a good moderator. Don't worry about what sex they are, what nationality they are. Get a good moderator. That's the bottom line. And uh, I, I don't think the moderators were great last night. Uh, who, who were some of the winners and losers? Well, I, I'm not exactly sure. And, and I, I watched the whole thing. I think Ron DeSantis was better uh, this time around than he was in the first debate, which took place uh, in Wisconsin. And uh, according, this is from the Associated Press, the debate's tone was far removed from a campaign that's been driven by Trump's attacks on his rivals and Democratic institutions as well as his grievances about a litany of criminal indictments and civil cases targeting him and his businesses, the moderators did not ask about the indictments or why the people on stage were better qualified than Trump, instead posing questions about issues including education, economic policy, and the U.S.-Mexico border. The candidates often went after Trump on their own, hoping to distinguish themselves at a critical moment with less then four months to go before the Iowa caucuses launched the presidential nomination. And uh, right after that, the New Hampshire primary. And I'm sure several of the candidates have flown from uh, California to New Hampshire already uh, to uh, start their, uh, you know, their appearances again here in the Granite State and in Iowa and in South Carolina, the three earliest uh, voting states. Trump has continued to dominate the field, even, 
as he faces a, a, a litany, a, a range of uh, vulnerabilities, including four criminal cases that raise the prospect of decades in prison. You know he's not going to serve decades in prison. Ron DeSantis said he should be on stage tonight, and I agree with that. I think Trump should have been there. Uh, but, you know, you know, Trump, he marches to a different drummer, and uh, DeSantis is attempting to establish himself as the leading Trump alternative despite recent struggles to uh, break out from the rest of the pack. Uh, DeSantis says he owes it to you to be on stage to defend his record where they added $7.8 trillion to the debt during the Trump administration. And that set the stage for the inflation we have right now, according to Governor DeSantis. Several others blistered Trump for not showing up. Uh, A departure from the first debate when the field mostly lined up behind the former president. DeSantis said just a few minutes in that uh, President Joe Biden was, and I quote here, completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. Now, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who has built his campaign around criticizing Trump, said the former president, and I quote, hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like the rest of us are up here to answer. Even Vivek Ramaswamy, the entrepreneur who has declared Trump to be the best president of the 21st century, distanced himself and argued He was a natural successor. Ramaswamy said, yes, I will respect Donald Trump and his legacy because it's the right thing to do. But we will unite this country to take the America First agenda to the next level. And that will take a different generation to do it. In the meantime, as we mentioned, Trump was in Michigan, gave a lengthy primetime speech in suburban Detroit that continued into the start of the debate. The crowd booed when he referenced the debate. He joked, we're competing with the job candidates and poked fun at his rivals for not drawing crowds as large as his. Uh, Even hours before the debate began in Simi Valley, about 40 miles northwest of downtown Los Angeles, the first group of supporters for any campaign to arrive waved, guess what, Trump flags and put a banner up reading Trump, our last hope for America and the world. Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor and United Nations ambassador, drew larger crowds and new interest after her first debate. And she had great numbers in the latest St. Anselm survey, as we told you about yesterday. Her team raised expectations prior to last night's debate ahead of an expected campaign swing in Iowa. Haley accused Trump of not being tough enough on China while he was president. She picked multiple fights with Ramaswamy, as she did in August. In August, She assailed him for creating a campaign account on TikTok, the social media app that many Republicans criticize as a possible spy tool for China. Haley said, and this was the quote of the night, I think. This was the one that everybody will remember. Anyway, the quote from Nikki Haley uh, referring to Vivek Ramaswamy. She said, honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber 
for what you say. <laughs> so there you go. That was the quote of the night. Haley also fought with uh, Senator Tim Scott, her fellow South Carolinian, uh, and uh, once her pick to uh, fill the state's open Senate seat. As Scott accused uh, Haley of uh, backing a gas tax as South Carolina governor and upgrading the curtains in her office as United Nations ambassador. Haley responded, bring it, Tim. So, you know, there was a lot of jousting, a lot of going back and forth. I don't know if there was a clear-cut winner. I, I think if you had to pick one last night that I think improved their lot uh, in the uh, primary process, it was probably DeSantis. DeSantis looked a little bit more human last night than he did in the first one. So I think DeSantis probably came away with the edge uh, last night, in my very humble opinion. All right, we will take a break. We'll be back with more coming up after these words. Don't forget tomorrow, the Friday Fun Bunch here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back, Kale and Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com on this Thursday. I tell you, we had Marty Smith on in the first half hour today. He is terrific. I'm sure many of you have seen him over the years. 18 years he's been at ESPN, the worldwide leader. And uh, he has a new book out called Sideline CEO Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. Terrific book. And uh, if you missed the interview or just want to hear it again, uh, you can tune in tonight a little after 7 o'clock right here on WKXL, whether it be at 1450 on the AM dial, uh, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM blasting into Manchester and beyond. And, of course, no matter where you travel, uh, you can pick up the station at uh, nhtalkradio.com. www.nhtalkradio.com. We are your worldwide companion here at uh, WKXL. How about this? You didn't see this coming, did you? The Native Americans who are leading a viral petition demanding the Washington commanders reclaim their historic Redskins name bristled with anger and resolve after a team representative called their organization, and I quote here, a fake group. Well, we're not a fake group. We're tribal enrolled members from tribes across the United States. That according to Eunice Davidson, and Eunice is the co-founder and president of the nonprofit North American Guardian Association. NAGA, N-A-G-E, which is headquartered in North Dakota. Davidson calls herself a full-blooded Dakota Sioux. Now, NAGA generated national headlines with its petition to bring the Redskins back to the NFL. I still think of them as the Redskins, the Washington Redskins. They'll never be the Washington Commanders to me. Uh, They will always be the Redskins. I miss that song. Hail to the Redskins. Whenever they used to score at home, you know, they had the Redskins band and they played Hail to the Redskins. It was great. Gave me chills. The effort now, this petition, as of Monday, has 100 
28,000 signatures. And according to NAGA co-founder and historian Andre Bilodeau, we're in it to win it. He went on to say, you understand the people that started this petition is a fake group, right? That's what Martin Lau said, a premium seat sales manager for the commanders in FedEx Field. That's what he wrote August 18th in a text to a former luxury suite season ticket holder. This name change was, is, and forever will be a major problem. Christina King had uh, texted earlier in the day, sparking what became a heated exchange uh, between the two. So at any rate, uh, the, the, I guess the commander's management uh, thinks that uh, this uh, Native American group is uh, fake. But some of the even former season ticket holders of, of the football team are upset about the name change, probably why they are former season ticket holders and not current season ticket holders, even though the Redskins, the Redskins, there I go, the Commanders <laughs> are a pretty decent team. Franchise adopted the name uh, from the original franchise, the Boston Redskins, in 1933 before moving to Washington, D.C. in 1937. Now, King, this is the former season ticket holders, uh, said that she gave up her suite after three years when the franchise under previous owner Dan Snyder dropped Redskins as the team's nickname in 2020. And uh, Lau, the guy who works in the front office, says, uh, as a fan of the team, I didn't want it to change either. At one point during their heated, as it was described, text exchanged. But anyway, there is a move afoot uh, for the uh, commanders to change its name back to the Redskins. I, I never liked the, the name uh, commanders to begin with. Washington commanders, it doesn't roll freely off the tongue. Washington Redskins, I always think of them as the Redskins. I didn't like the change uh, in Cleveland from the Indians to the Guardians. It's crazy. How many Native Americans were upset that the team was called the Washington Redskins or the Cleveland Indians? I don't think there were too many. I didn't see too many protests. So at any rate, we'll see what uh, plays out there. But I think uh, you know Daniel Snyder, who was highly controversial, uh, was a misogynist and. Uh, was a sexual predator. He was the former owner of the, the Redskins slash Commanders. Uh, I think something uh, will change. And there will be a new nickname. Uh, probably not. Probably not the Redskins. But maybe a tip of the cap to uh, our Native American population. We shall see. Nobody's, nobody's concerned about the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Nobody cares that they're named the Kansas City Chiefs. But anyway, we'll see what happens in, in Washington, our nation's capital. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Remember Wilt? Wilt the Stilt? Wilt Chamberlain's 1972 NBA Finals jersey, worn in Game 2 and the clinching Game 5, exceeded expectations at auction at Sotheby's, selling for $4.9 
million on Wednesday night, a record for any item of Chamberlain memorabilia. Chamberlain was named Finals MVP in his first and only NBA Finals MVP award, which wasn't given out until 1969, a decade after Chamberlain started his NBA career. The 1972 Finals were notable for the Lakers, whose roster boasted Gail Goodrich, Jerry West, Pat Riley, and Chamberlain, coached by a former Celtic Bill Sharman. It was their first title in Los Angeles after Bob Short moved the franchise from Minneapolis in 1960, the same year the Lakers drafted Jerry West, and they defeated the New York Knicks in that 1972 NBA Finals series. Now, get this, the previous record for Chamberlain memorabilia was a paltry $1.792 million that his rookie year Philadelphia Warriors uniform fetched with SCP auctions in June, which also had been the most expensive game-worn vintage NBA item sold prior to Chamberlain's 72 finals jersey. But it shattered all records last night. $4.9 million. It is the third most expensive NBA jersey ever sold at auction behind the autographed $5.8 million Kobe Bryant jersey from his lone MVP season and the $10.1 million Last Dance 1998 NBA Finals Michael Jordan jersey. All three were auctioned by Sotheby's. So there you go. There's your auction update for those who can afford to spend millions of dollars on uh, old NBA jerseys. Wouldn't it be nice to be in a position to be able to spend that much money on anything, for that matter? If I had that much money, I don't think I'd be spending it on old NBA jerseys for whatever reason. I don't, I don't think I would be. Well, you probably heard, folks, uh, that the Red Sox ended their Fenway Park season last night, and what a dismal season it was at Fenway. Anytime... You cannot finish above 500 at home for a season. It's a woeful season. And that's what the Boston Red Sox are having. You know, they've lost 18 of their last 20 games. 18 of their last 20 games they have lost. Uh, you know, they're not even on the radar anymore. I mean, with the, the Patriots... Uh, you know, uh, season already underway. Bruins will be underway next week. Celtics uh, shortly thereafter. The Red Sox are less, right now, less than an afterthought. And they finished up their home season last night and lost to Tampa Bay 5 to nothing. Probably a fitting finish to the home season, being shut out. <laughs> Oh, man. The Red Sox will open their final series of the season tonight in Baltimore. You know, the Red Sox right now, folks, are 23 games behind the Baltimore Orioles, the leaders of the American League East. You know, the Red Sox could finish 27 games behind Baltimore before it's all said and done. And how about the amazing Ronald Acuna Jr.? Of the Atlanta Braves, he made history on Wednesday night 
He stole second base in the 10th inning. He becomes the only player in the long history of Major League Baseball to hit at least 40 home runs and steal 70, 7-0 bases. All right, with that, we will leave you and let you know that tomorrow it'll be Kitty Ray, it'll be Tom Raffio, it'll be me, the Friday Fun Bunch, presented by Northeast Delta Dental with individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. That'll do it for this Thursday edition. We want you to always look on the bright side of life. Have a great Thursday, everybody.